Grab a seat. If we've never met before, my name is Tyler. I'm one of the pastors here. I work with uh, my wife, Lee, and I lead together, and we're glad that you are with us. We've been in this series called The Early Church, where we're exploring the book of Acts and considering what does it mean for us today. And today, I want to spend some time in Acts 12, but before I do, I want to catch us up on where we have been. Two weeks ago, I shared the, the story and reminder of the shift that happened in the early church where the message of Jesus was no longer just for Jewish people, but for the Gentiles. This is anyone who is not Jewish. That was in Acts 10. In Acts 11, we see this reiterated as Peter interacts with the church and communicates that God shows no favoritism, that he loves and invites anyone who is willing to surrender their way of life to his. God is breaking down barriers that are deeply entrenched. God was on the move, and he was working in the lives of Gentiles. And the church continues to spread. And we find ourselves in Acts 12. In the midst of amazing growth and impact, we find resistance and challenge. And I do want to just remind you that that is often how it works. Is this my beard? Is it, is it scratching? I don't know. We'll see. In the midst of growth and impact, there is resistance. So I want you, if you would, grab your Bibles and turn to Acts 12, 1 to 5. Acts 12, 1 to 5. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Acts 12, 1 to 5. So Luke tells us, About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, Killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, that is Peter, placing Peter under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each, 16 people guarding Peter. Herod intended to bring Peter out for a public trial after the Passover. But while, while Peter was in prison... The church prayed very earnestly for him. So the church is spreading in concentric circles, increasingly reaching more and more people with the message of Jesus. More and more people are coming to faith in Jesus. And Herod Agrippa begins to become someone who is an agent of resistance to the work of God. The apostle Peter is arrested and he's imprisoned. And the goal of this was not light and airy. The goal of this was to kill Peter like James had been killed. Faced with immense powerlessness. You can imagine with the early church what they would be considering at this moment as it just seems like they're beginning to take some steps and yet there is resistance there is a reminder that there is power in this earth that sometimes we can feel really powerless under. The early church would have felt some level of powerlessness to Herod Agrippa. And I want us to notice how they responded. What does the early church do? In verse 5, Luke tells us, But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. While he was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. 
The early church had seen God move miraculously in the past. They had even seen God open prison doors. And so when Peter is imprisoned, their first response is, we should pray. We believe that God can do it again. We believe that God is more powerful than the current situation that we find ourselves in. And here we are reminded of the power of earnest prayers. Earnest is a word that we often don't use in just common conversation. And I thought it would be helpful to look it up according to Oxford Dictionary. Oxford, or earnest is defined by Oxford Dictionary as this. Resulting from or showing sincere and intense conviction. This is the kind of pray that, prayers that they prayed. Resulting from or showing sincere and intense conviction. If you're new to Collective... I want you to know this is us. This is our prayer culture. This is what we're building here. We pray earnest prayers. Even this morning, before we even got in here, we had multiple layers and times that as a team, as the volunteer team, we prayed for this morning, we prayed for each other. I even had someone, I had a group of people in our team pray for some back pain that I was experiencing. We pray earnest prayers here. We believe that faced with things that are difficult, that our first response is to pray. These are the kind of prayers that we pray, prayers that result from or show sincere and intense conviction. And I want you to know that these kind of prayers are powerful. Sometimes we pray prayers to God when we're in situations where like, God, I want this, I need this. But when we gather together and we pray these kind of prayers, especially for other people, incredible things can happen. In fact, in James's book, he talks about this. In James 5, verse 16, it says this, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Now, I don't want to just skip over when James talks about this idea of confessing our sins to each other. That is an important part of what we do in our co-groups. That is our smaller gatherings where we spend time with each other, unpacking what God is saying and what we're going to do with it. And an important part of that is to be honest, is to share where there is sin, where there are struggles, where there are doubts, where there are lies that we are believing. This is so central to who we are as a church. But it's not where we stop. We don't just stop with confession where we confess all the things that we have done. Every single week as a result of those confessions, we pray for each other. It's a central part of what we do. We believe there is power in confessing what we are going through to other people, and there is power when people pray for us. And when we pray for each other, we see healing happening. I want you to know we are seeing that happening in our midst. Physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, Healing happening when we pray earnest prayers over each other. James reminds us the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And if you want a reminder of the power of earnest prayer, Acts 12 is a great place to see it. We see the significance of a group of people that are praying earnest prayers. If you're ever wondering if your earnest prayers matter, again, look at Acts 12. 
Herod Agrippa, who was the Roman king over the Jewish people, he was beginning to persecute followers of the way of Jesus. He had John's brother, James, killed. And when he realized that this was making the Jewish people happy, he doubled down. He's like, what else can I do? And so he gets Peter, and he imprisons him. And then the church began to pray earnestly. I don't know if you've noticed this, but difficult or challenging situations drive us to pray earnestly. When things are good, we're like, yeah, it's good, thank you, God, and we kind of move on. But when things are difficult, when we have things in our way, it drives us to our knees where we go, God, I need you to move. I I have this conviction that you have in the past, that, that you could right now. God, would you intervene? And I think so many of us We avoid difficulty. I know for me, there are moments that I think, you know what, this is supposed to be easier than this. And yet I'm reminded that where I've seen the most growth spiritually in my life is when things are difficult. We see this in the early church. I used to believe this lie that you'd go through seasons where everything was good and then everything was bad and everything was good. You know what I'm learning? It's kind of a mixed bag all the time. And if we'll notice it, we'll see all the amazing things that are happening, and if we fixate it, we'll focus on all the negative things. But what I find is that when there's good and also challenge, it drives me to pray more earnest prayers. This sense of conviction grows out of, I've seen what God has done, I see what God is doing, and I want more of that. The early church prayed earnestly, and God was about to intervene supernaturally. In verse 6, the night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep. Fastened with two chains between two soldiers, others stood guard at the prison gate. This is painting the picture of where Peter is in the situation. And Luke is taking great care to help us to see that this is, he had 16 people before that were with Peter. And in this case, he's there and he's chained to two people between two soldiers. And even more were outside of the gate. So you can just picture this for a moment. You have Peter who's on the ground where he's chained to two people, and then outside of the gate there are more people that are watching. And and there's something really interesting, even this, that I think we could just miss if if we're not careful. Do you you see how Peter is responding to this situation? It it tells us in verse 6, the night before Peter was to be placed on trial, what was he doing? He was asleep. So do we see anxiety and stress and panic? No. He's there chained between two dudes going, perfect, I'll just take a little nap. It's interesting, isn't it? Like it it makes me think about, is it possible that Peter's belief in God was so secure that he was like, listen, this is a good place, I could sleep here. I don't feel concerned or worried because I know who God is. And I think for me even, that's convicting in my own life because I think about how little the things can be that can disrupt my sleep. Peter is asleep, chained to two guards and under watch by others. And then in verse 7, Luke tells us, suddenly there was a bright light in the cell and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell, following the angel. But all the time, he thought it was a vision. 
He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city. And this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street. And then the angel suddenly left him. One of the parts of this that I think is so, I just, I find so much value and I really love is that Peter doesn't even know what's fully happening as it's happening. Like he's half out of it. He's half asleep. He's like, wow, this is a really cool vision. And it isn't until afterwards that he realized that wasn't a vision. That just happened. It's like half out of it, getting dressed, doing what the angel told him, just following along the way. I love that you see someone not in his power, but you see someone who's simply just willing to follow God where he's leading, the angel where he's leading, and go through doors as they are opened. Follows the angel through the first and second guard posts, past any guards there. And when they arrived at the iron gate, the gate fully opened by itself, and as they passed through it, the angel left. Now Peter's standing there, fully free, and now fully awake to what just happened. It says in verse 11 that Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. This story is incredibly significant and impactful for us. And I want to just bring it even into our current reality today. And I want to remind us, me included, that if God has work for you to do that is unfinished, there is no human power that can stop it. And I think for some of us, we get so caught up in our own thoughts and our own feelings and even in our awareness of our own inadequacy and so many of us let fear make our drive our decision making. We're like, well, what if it doesn't work? And what if I look silly? And, and, and what if, and what if, and what if, instead of having the posture where we believe that God is more powerful than whatever we see around us? I was thinking about this because last week Lee and I were in Calgary. We were there for a wedding and then we got to spend a significant amount of time with people that we really care about. And I was thinking about how there are times that you can be in situations where you're so fearful of what could be and you can't see what might happen. I've had times in my life where I know God's asking me to do something and I look at all the things in the way and I go, I don't know how. I think of it being a lot like Peter, being chained with people, having multiple gates, and then in a moment, God just walks him all the way out. And it's almost a little anticlimactic. It's like, you're out, and then you realize, that just happened. And I was thinking about situations in my, life, in my life where it seemed like it could be too difficult, and yet I saw God move. One was, um, when we were in Calgary, I had been working at a church as a youth pastor, and increasingly had felt this call and invitation to plant a church. And so I had brought it to a handful of people that I trusted. One was... George, who at that point was the executive pastor, now he's one of our overseers, and we got to spend time with him. And I brought it to George, and I brought it to a few other people on staff, and I brought it to some people that I trusted, and I went, here's what I'm sensing, what do you think? And, and, and they affirmed that. And then I had some really cool experiences that, that affirmed and confirmed that that's where God was leading. And then it hit me of what that could cost me. 
and I, and I started thinking through what that would look like. I met with a guy that helped church planters, and he's like, listen, I believe you're called to plant a church. I just want to let you know that when you tell your boss, you might lose your job. And I was like, okay. And he's like, yes, yeah, so just so you know. And I'm like, well, our church, we talk about multiplication, and we want to plant churches. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so when you tell him, just be prepared. <laughs> it's like, great, great. So already you have all this fear of what could happen if, and then I'm faced with this reality. And, and just even on that front, I did have the conversation, and he did say, do you need to be done right now? Do we need to fire you right away? Okay, so you have all this stuff that to me was like, okay, I'm trying to do what you're asking me to do, and yet I feel like, how can this possibly work? And so I took a drive. I would often do this. I still love doing this. I take a drive with God, and I had my, my 25-year-old truck, which is, is a standard, and so I could be fully present, and I just set off into the darkness, which is dangerous in Alberta, especially with an old truck. And I was sitting there, and I was like, I'm going to go there, and I want to spend time with God. I had my, my Bible, and it was just me, me and God. And I'm running through all the stuff in my mind going, God, I feel so stuck. What if none of this works? What if I step out and I lose everything? What if I don't even get to plant this church? What if all these things, all the stuff that I was so afraid of. And then I was reminded of a verse, a verse that I then frantically tried to find in my Bible. I eventually did. It was in Revelation 3.7. And it says this, this is the message from the one, God himself, who is holy and true the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. What God opens, no one can close, and what God closes, no one can open. And I felt like God broke right into my current reality right then and went, listen, if I've opened doors, it does not matter what other people try to do to close them. And subsequently, if I close those doors, you can kick and scream all you want, but you will not be able to go through those doors. And I was thinking about that in relation to what Peter faced. Because here you have human powers that are going, we're going to close the doors. We're going to lock you in. And God goes, oh yeah? No. And through prayers of people, God opens doors. And I experienced that even with church planting and here today, I have seen it in my life. It doesn't matter what people do. If God wants to open doors, they will remain open. This reminder of God's sovereignty was transformative for me, and I have to continually reflect on it. But it's important that you understand that, that in that, even in our situation and in Peter's situation, it is not just one person by himself or herself. We had a, a layer of people that were praying for us, and they were praying really bold prayers. Prayers like, God, not their will be done, but your will be done. Because for us, we weren't sensing that we needed to plant a church because it's what we wanted. We were sensing that God wanted to do it, but we were more than willing to be wrong. If God wanted to close the doors, we went, okay, we want to trust you. And I think sometimes we can go the extreme where like God told me this and then he told me that and he told me this and then that and we're running like a zigzag all over the place 
And what we need is exactly what Peter had. He needed a community of people that were with him and for him and behind him. For us, we need people that are willing to help us discern, is this really God? Because we can try to kick down doors that God did not open. But subsequently, there are times that God opens doors that no human being can close. We experience God's power on display as we prayed for his will, not ours. And in Peter's miraculous story, I think that we can lose sight of the power, not just of God, but of the community that is around him. See, even in this, as I, as I reflect on the importance of community and praying earnest prayers, I, I do want you to understand this is why our co-groups are so important. Because Peter didn't go into the prison and hide it. The whole community would have known Peter's in prison. We need to start praying. And in the context of our co-groups, this sense of being willing to lay ourselves bare and be vulnerable and share what we're actually dealing with is so incredibly significant. It creates an invitation for people to actually care for us and pray for us. If we keep it to ourselves, how does anyone know? Well, you should just know. How? For us, it's so important that we actually recognize I'm in a situation that is difficult and I don't see a way out and I feel so discouraged and to bring that into community. That has been a continual lesson in our life and it's been a continual pattern as we've built co-groups of going, we need to be willing to share the stuff that we're actually going through. Listen, you can go to some places where you can just kind of keep it surface level. That's not here. Because we don't want that for each other. We want to actually deal with the stuff that we're actually dealing with. If you feel imprisoned and bound and stuck and hopeless, we want to know. And we want to pray for you. It's so important for us to understand that this community that we are building, it is essential for all of us to bring everything that we have into it. And the community that you are bringing your vulnerability into is a community of people who are seeking to pray earnest and powerful prayers. So when you struggle, you're invited to share it here. When you feel bound or imprisoned, hopeless, powerless, you can share it here. And I want you to know that our first instinct when you share that stuff is to pray for you. It's to ask God, are you saying anything here? Are you guiding in any way? And how can we cover this person in prayer? Why? Why is this such a central part for us as a church? Because we, save the, we serve the same God that sent an angel to rescue Peter from prison. That same God is at work today in our midst. We believe that God is still in the business of healing and rescuing people from hopeless situations. And we are going to pray earnestly that God intervenes miraculously in these situations. And when he does, just like Luke, we're going to tell everyone how powerful our God is. Listen, I can't promise you that you'll experience what Peter did in every circumstance that you face. There will be times that God closes doors that you wish were open. I've had that too. And God says no. And we can struggle with that. But I want you to know that in the midst of all of that, whether the doors are closed or open, that we have the correct view of who God is and what he is able to do. 
I want to remind us as a community that the power of the world is no match for God. That in comparison to all the things that we might see or experience, God is over all of it. And so when you feel like following Jesus is more difficult, when you feel like the resistance is greater, the the power that seems to be pushing against what you're trying to do is stronger, when you feel like the cost is higher, I want you to remember that God is more powerful than all of our fears, all of our questions, all of our doubts, all of our concerns. No human scheme nor power is able to stifle what God wants to do. Chained up with two soldiers, layers of guards and gates. And an angel of the Lord walked Peter right out. And there's even a picture in this of what I think it looks like to follow God. That we see Peter who simply responds and obeys as God invites him to take a step. And I think for some of us, we're so concerned about 10 years, five years down the road and going like, I want to make sure I'm there. And God's going, listen, I opened this door. Just walk through it. Let's start there. For, for some of us, there's open doors in front of us that we need to walk through. It's really interesting when I think about even in my own life, the moments that I start walking through doors, how God makes it really clear when he closes some and opens others. And I think for so many of us, we're so concerned, well, I need to make sure I fulfill God's call for my life and purpose for my life. And what if, what if I miss it? And I go, what if instead of being so fixated and being 12 steps ahead, you just took the next step? Now, I'm saying that to someone that struggles with that too. I think for me, I go, I want to see all the things. I have vision for what could be. And God's continued reminder is, hey, get up and let's go. And we trust him as we take steps, and he continues to open doors. And, and I love that in this, Peter's out of it, because sometimes I feel like that. Sometimes I'm walking this thing out, and I'm like, I don't know what you are up to. And he goes, hey, I do. I'm really clear on where this is going to go, so just let's keep going. And before we know it, we look back. I was thinking about this with my experience in Calgary. Before we know it, we look back and go, that was only God. Like for all the things that I was worried about with church planting, and let me just be clear, church planting is difficult, so it did not make it easy, but for all the things I was worried about, honestly, God just kicked doors wide open. I'd be sitting there going, well, how's all this going to work out? And then Lee and I would get off the phone, and it just did. And you're like, okay, God. Almost like God is not limited by us, and almost like God is more powerful than all the things that we might conjure in our heads as resistance. This is our God. The same God who rescued Peter by the earnest prayers of a community is at work today in our lives. And this is not to say that we will not face challenges or that rescue will always look like we want. Let me just say that again. That does not mean that we will always be rescued in the way that we think we should be rescued. Because in our minds, we're like, I just want to be removed from this. And God goes, no, 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 I've got work for you to do in the midst of this. And we're like, I want the shortcut. And then there are other moments that he rescues us miraculously and he heals things miraculously. We go, praise God. In the midst of that, you know what his promise is? Is that he is close. That he doesn't abandon us even when we feel like it. That he is near to us. 
We need to be reminded of God's great power as we face difficulty in our life. Luke tells us that the Lord, that even as Peter is declaring it and telling people, this reminder, the Lord brought God, the Lord brought Peter out of prison. Peter's not somehow saying, you know, it was my power, my ability. And in our situations, that when we see miraculous things happen, it gives us an opportunity to again point people to Jesus and go, look what God did. Peter goes to the early church and he tells them what had happened, and they were understandably amazed. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. If you have a community that is praying earnest prayers, and they're praying that Peter will be rescued from prison, and then he shows up, hey, I'm here. And if you get a chance, you should read Acts 12 because there's some real humor in there, like where he knocks on the door and the girl comes to see him, and she's like, I'll be right back, and just leaves him out there to go tell other people, and he's standing going, um, like real good, beautiful humor of a community that's like, it happened, and you're so excited, you're like, just wait, Peter, just wait right there, and then you tell everyone. Think about what that would do to their faith. Do you think it would cause them to pray more and more earnest prayers? Yes, the same is true for us today. The more that we pray and we ask God and we plead for God and we go to God with prayer and the more that we see him work, the more encouraged we are to do it again. Does it mean that it always happens? No. Does it mean we're going to give up? We're definitely not giving up. We're going to continue to pray earnest prayers and ask for miraculous things to happen. The more we see God show up, the more that we pray. The more that we pray, the more that we see God show up. And when we don't see God show up like we expect him to, in community, we still celebrate that God is at work, though we may not know what he is doing. And we encourage each other. We stand with each other. And we continue to pray. I want you to know that God is far more powerful than you realize. God is far more powerful than anything we face. God is more powerful than government, nuclear arsenals, or ideological movements. God is not looking at what is happening in 2024 in Canada, and he's concerned. He is bigger than all of it. The beautiful thing about the church when we see it is that the church has always thrived when there is resistance to it. And for thousands of years, political powers and ideological movements have tried to kill the church. And yet, the church continues to be resilient. Because of the power of God at work in imperfect people, we see the kingdom of God continually advance, especially in areas where it is difficult. And it's really important that we understand this is who God is. And more than that, God will not be mocked. And in environments where people mock God, we should have a sober attitude toward that. In fact, in Acts 12, later we find that Herod Agrippa, this powerful man, he accepts the worship of people. And instead of understanding his place under God, he, he, he takes the worship and he goes, this is me, I am a God. And God causes him to get sick and then die. 
It's interesting when you think about it in the context of what had been experienced early on where there was a sense of powerlessness for the early church where they're going, okay, by worldly measures, Herod Agrippa is one of the most powerful people that we're coming up against. And then in a few moments, God flips it and reminds them, listen, the power that you see is nothing compared to him. It's important for us to be reminded of that and to remind ourselves of that and to share stories with each other of times when it seemed like doors were closed and things were locked down and we were stuck and yet we saw God free us. It's the reminder for us that when God is at work, no human scheme or resistance can overcome him. If God asks us to do it, if God is at work, there is nothing that anyone else can do to stop what he is doing. And when we pray earnest prayers, miraculous things happen and people are set free. Peter tells the early church about his rescue and it stirs the faith of the community. God humbles Herod and then Luke drops this line. This is almost what we see consistently. Every single time the early church faces something difficult and they overcome it by God's power, we find a line similar to this in verse 24. Meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread and there were many new believers. It's interesting when you consider what's happening. I don't, I don't know if, if you would pay attention as much as I would, but there's increasingly movements even in North America that are like, man, the church is really declining and it looks very bleak. And it was interesting, I was listening to someone that was saying that, that what we're seeing is, is actually people carrying on, handing off their faith to the, the next generation. That faith was anemic and just kind of checking boxes off. And what I believe we're seeing in North America is a call and invitation to radically following the way of Jesus in every single area of our life. And in that, we are seeing substantial impact. And so you can look at everything that's happening around us and go, oh man, it seems harder to follow Jesus. Yes. It seems like the cost of following Jesus is more absolutely. It's everything. And you can look at that and think fearfully and, and worry. But you know what? We serve the same God that walked Peter right out that prison like it was nothing. And so if we're afraid of all the stuff that's happening, it means that our view of God is a little bit off. And so every single time that I feel that, I'm reminded of who God is, what he has done, and what he will do. He is building his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And every single time that we wonder, okay, are you closing Doors, if God wants to open doors, he can open them and no one can close them. But if he wants to close them, we find another door and we continue to follow him as he is guiding. I think about this line of, meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread and there are many new believers. The church is alive and the kingdom of God is advancing and I pray, God, may this be us. May this be us. A group of people that are praying earnest prayers, that are willing to be in prison if that's what is required of us, that are willing to face difficult things if that is where God is at work, and also are willing to, to pray that God opens every single door along the way. As we face an increasing hostility to the way of Jesus, and, 
and what the way of Jesus calls for, and that is everything in us. If you've been told that you can follow Jesus and live your own life, I want to let you know that is not true. The invitation to follow Jesus is to lay down everything for his way of life, to die to ourselves and choose him. As we do that, we recognize that that will create tension for us. But as we do that, may we continue to see the gospel spread, the message spread, and people come to faith in Jesus. I just, I want you to be reminded, and maybe even this week to remind yourself that the same God that walked Peter out through earnest prayers is still at work today. I want to call on a couple of different people in this. There's a couple of implications from this message that I want to highlight. First, if you are in a co-group, and we have a great high percentage of people in our church that are in co-groups, if you are in a co-group, I want to challenge you specifically this week. I want you to share, if you have not, share where you feel imprisoned, where you feel stuck, where you feel trapped, where you second guess and worry and feel fear rise up, share that with others. Let people in and let them pray for you. There's an idea, and, and it's especially true with pastors, called selective vulnerability. So you go, what can I share that seems like I'm vulnerable without really risking anything? And I think for some reason we've become comfortable with doing that in groups too. And I just want to let you know that's not my heart. I'm going to share stuff consistently that does not always make me look good, and I, I want to encourage you to do the same. That's, that's the culture here. We're not trying to pretend, trying to act like everything's good. If you're struggling, please, please, please let someone else know. Because we don't actually just, we don't want to say, hear you say that and go, wow, you clearly don't have faith. We want to hear that and go, we have faith for you. Let us pray for you. Let us walk with you. Let us grieve with you. Weep when you're weeping. Laugh when you're laughing. Let's do it together. Let's actually risk people seeing who we really are for the sake of real relationship. We want to, as a community, we are committed to growing in earnest prayer. But how can we pray earnestly if we don't know what's going on in your life? We want to, as co-groups, pray earnestly for you. Risk sharing it so that we can shoulder that burden together. That's the first thing that I want to challenge people with. Second, I believe that there's an invitation even here to pray with more boldness and to pray more and more earnestly with more sincere conviction. I think some of us in our minds, we've, when we reflect on our spiritual journey, if we follow Jesus for a length of time, we had seasons where we prayed earnest prayer, where we prayed without ceasing, where we prayed believing that God would show up, and then in times when he didn't show up the way that we thought he might, we pull back and we go, you know what, maybe that's not for me, and maybe I'll just pray for small things, and maybe I'll just pray occasionally, and maybe, maybe I'll just, I'll just kind of settle for some sort of a comfortable faith. And I do want to remind you that faith means trying. And that means that at times we have to pray bold prayers and risky prayers where God has to show up because we've got very little. And, and if that's you, 
I want to invite the worship team to come up. If that's you, if you recognize I need and I want to pray more and more bold prayers, I, I want to grow in my prayer life, I want to invite you to come up to the front so that we can pray for you as a prayer team. Because I, I look at the early church and I look at what they experienced in their midst because of earnest prayers and I think, God, I want that more and more here. So would you stand up for a moment? I think for some of us, we need to be reminded that our view of God has been small and stifled, and right now is an opportunity to step out of your seat and to come up to the front and let people pray for a deeper level of prayer in your life. Pray for more and more earnest prayers, for miraculous things to happen through you. I want to confront the lie that God only works through people that we perceive to be powerful. He works through ordinary people that are willing to submit themselves to him. And so we're going to create a moment here while the worship team leads us where we're going to pray for people that want to come up, that want bolder prayers, and that want to pray earnest prayers that see prison doors open.